Hello and welcome to Say That Podcast, where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. I had to clear my throat during that introduction because I wasn't given proper uh, throat clearing time. We had 15 minutes between recordings. Well, that's also true. Yeah. Do you want to also join us, Director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer? Greetings! Still on special assignment at Young Life's Carolina Point, regular host of the show, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Now you say, is young, if you're familiar with Young Life Camp, you say, does this thing last two weeks nowadays? Or are they batch recording? And that's a mystery for the ages. Yeah, I never know. I feel like if Lee was here, he would understand my need to cough because usually you do a countdown and then Lee and I in unison just cough horribly for like the next 15 to 20 seconds straight. Yes, sure. the disease of trying to annoy Matt yeah. is communicable over FaceTime. Absolutely. Who knew? Well, gentlemen, that's enough of that. Mm. I have to declare an emergency. Oh. This is, in a rare case, an emergency I encountered in my real life. Okay. That I okay. feel the need to bring to the fine minds in this podcast mm. right now. Okay. So uh, a, c- a couple, uh, I guess last month, uh, my my girlfriend Jen and I were visiting uh, the fine people down there in the, in the southern states. Mm. We uh, The plane had been delayed a little bit, getting okay. out of O'Hare, which is... As far as I understand it, that's the first time there have ever been weather delays at O'Hare Airport. Mm. So people were, you know, admittedly flustered by that. We got out, got the rental car, we're driving through uh, East Tennessee there in the night. And as you're wont to do in the southern states of America, we saw some religious billboards. Ooh. Were they great? Yeah, they were very, very informative, very encouraging and uplifting. Yeah. You had your, you know, you had your standard, you know, I the wording changes, but it's basically, you know, a stern white man saying, stop sinning. Right. Well, it's, it's a fascinating question. What percentage of Christian billboards were not absolutely awful? It would be a very low percentage, yeah. my friend. Yeah. Then you've got the... Uh, the same smiling white family in khakis and blue Oxford shirts yep. that are in every mega church billboard. Yep. Yeah. I think it's the same people. Okay. I've yet to be disproven on this. Okay. Um, you know, they're, they're attractive in a way, but not in a way that you'd notice. Yeah. Like if someone pointed out, said, that's oh, a good looking family. You'd be like, oh, I guess it is, but you wouldn't like, they wouldn't draw focus. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, right. The, that's on every church billboard. Yeah. But then we saw one that was intriguing. Okay. It was a black billboard with just the white text on it. Are you a good person? Take the mm. test at, and I, it was like goodpersontest.com or something. I can't remember the actual URL. Um, and that led us to an animated video. Ooh, I love oh. cartoons. Which was an interesting surprise when you're expecting to take the good person test. And I will play some of the audio. Now, this is a fairly standard. Um, you've probably encountered this kind of theory of evangelism before. And at its base, it's not wrong. We're going to find some problems in the execution. So you say, is okay, someone said, well, you, you can't be good enough to get into heaven. You have, no one has kept the Ten Commandments. We're talking about, you know, your basic Matthew 5 stuff there. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's delivered, this deep theological point, in the form of jaunty cartoon. Ooh, mm. let's, let's jaunt. Let's take a listen. So, Mr. Nice Guy, have you kept the Ten Commandments? Pretty much. Do you mind if we take a look at them and maybe see how nice you really are? Uh, okay. Great. Here's one. You shall not lie. Mr. Nice Guy, have you ever told a lie? 
Well, yeah, who hasn't? What do you call somebody who tells lies? A liar. All right. How about another commandment? You shall not steal. Have you ever stolen anything, even once? Nope. But you just told me you're a liar. Well, I, I did steal some candy once when I was a kid. And what do you call someone who steals? A thief. Okay, let's, let's all take a pause right there. Um, now, obviously, clearly, this is a scripted situation. Um, so, as often happens in fiction, this tells us something about the author. Right. And that this is the way they've chosen to create this. And this way, you have someone who says, I would, if I were to encounter someone who's not a Christian and want to talk to them about my faith, I would do that through a series of increasingly aggressive riddles. <laughs> well, I love the tone of, so I want to ask you a few questions about God, but first, what do you think of yourself? I, I like myself. Well, guess what? <laughs> Get ready to not. <laughs> Get ready to hate yourself. You're the worst. <laughs> The best way to find a relationship with God is start by thinking you are the worst person around. Yeah. Here's another one I love. I love this idea of you lied once, so we get to call you a liar. That's not how words work. Um, here's I love a- the idea of the, the rube who keeps falling into these rhetorical traps. And what right. do you call someone who tells lies? A liar? Oh, wait, crap. No. <laughs> Well, I think, uh, for example, you could probably go up to your pastor and say, now, now pastor, have, have you ever told a lie in, in the whole of your life? Uh, he will say yes, and I know that he will say yes because I work with pastors, and there isn't any category of people I know who lie to me more often than pastors lie Sure, to me. sure. They do it. They do Should it have been out here of, last week. Yeah, they do it by reflex. People. I mean, it's it's all in the vein of trying to be nice sure. and trying to kind of see the sunny side and all that kind of stuff. But they lie. So here's the thing. According to this video, oh. if your pastor admits that he's ever lied before, you can now introduce him. As a liar. As a liar. Like, but usually you would say, well, uh, like, hello, Timmy. I'd like for you to meet my pastor, Pastor Billy. But now you can say, hello, Timmy, I would like you to meet a liar. Yeah, that's right. You could stand He's a liar. In the middle of his sermons, just point at him and scream, liar! And it'd be true. <laughs> yeah, that's, he's he a liar. From that, that's what you call someone who lies once. <laughs> yeah. A liar. You don't call him pastor. That would be crazy. Sure. He's a liar, y'all. Yeah. He's a, he might be a thief. We don't even know. We could call him a lying thief if that's the case, because you can sort of hyphenate. And, and, you sure, know, absolutely. You know, it's like... A, we don't want to leave anything out. You don't want to leave anything out. You sure. know? Well, well I love the, I'm glad you brought up the thief point, because as I was saying before we hit record, one of my favorite things in this whole video, which I've watched several times at this point, is, again, you're writing this script. You get to, you get to have both sides of these interactions. Instead of just doing the, and if you've been to any kind of evangelistic situation, I, I've heard this example used at Young Life Camp. You may have heard it in like a youth group talk. You say, well, you say, are you violating the commandment to steal? Well, you know, you took 50 cents from your mom's purse because you wanted ice cream and she wasn't home. Or you, you know, you took the piece of candy when you were a kid. And we would not consider that a life of crime. Right. But the point is that God's standard is so high towards perfection that even that there, and you spin that into Jesus. They just drafted like the world's saddest courtroom scene. Yeah. It's like, right. have you ever told anything? No. 
you could have just scripted that. Have you ever stole anything? Well, I stole candy when I was a kid. Well, that still counts. Right. Have you ever stole anything? No. You just told me you were a liar. You got me! Zinger! Detective Pastor. <laughs> well, here's the other thing about this. It's that it, it, I think the thing that's painful for us is that this is fiction in the sense of this is not how any yeah. effective ministry is done yeah. or what ministry This is as much like. fan fiction as anything you would find written about good omens on Tumblr. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, ultimately, if you think about it in this way, um, if you went up to a person in church, outside church, in another religion, you name it, and say, are you a good person? Yeah. They would say, compared to most of the schmucks I see abroad in the world, I'm doing okay. I'm in or the fat. I part do my the, best. Yeah, I'm in the fat part of the bell curve. So that if that's what a good person is, yeah, I'm that. I move with the herd, and I'm about as good as most people, and maybe not a whole lot better, but you know, whatever have you. But you said to that exact same person, compared to a almighty being that is perfect. How would your life compare to that being's existence? To that person, if you, we, if, if that's the standard that we would judge you by, would by that measure you be a good person relative to this perfect person? They would say, of course not. That's everybody. So you haven't sort of found some sort of a loophole in a wrong way they have of looking at it. In other words, the wrong way is comparing themselves to other people as yeah. opposed to God. Here's the other thing, is people, the, the, the reason why all this is written down is because pastors are obsessed with people in their church who think they are perfect and holy and wonderful and don't need a lot of help, Sure, and trying to convince them that they have problems. So they've decided that everyone outside the church must have, must have that exact same mindset, only worse. Sure. And they don't, so... You're just being weird and cruel to people. Well, guys, you're going to be pretty impressed because I, oh. I feel like I've internalized the the logic that we're all landing on and, and just the way the coin of the realm, so to speak. So first of all, I'm a pilot. Oh. Yeah. Um, last is, year. Is that I what you call, call someone who licensure? flies on a plane? Well, no. Hallie bought me a $20 remote control drone Oh, okay. that I do technically pilot. Oh, I, see, I don't yeah. know if that's the correct use of that term. So I'm a pilot now. That's what you call someone who's piloted something. And I have. Okay. So I'm a pilot. Also, I'm a captain. Oh. Um, it turns out a captain is someone who commands a nautical vessel. Oh. And I have gone kayaking. Okay. It's a vessel. I commanded well. it. So I'll be Captain Jed from now on. Okay. Also, hey. every church that I go to, I've certainly been in a pastoral role to people. You've ministered to people. I've certainly ministered to people. So you're a pastor and a minister. I am Pastor Jed, minister at large. You, oh, also, you also have a driver's license, so you are a licensed pastor and minister. I am a licensed yeah. pastor and minister. So, and yeah. in in the sense that I am, you know, a follower of Jesus Christ, and and that we do have, a, you know, in, in the true sense of the word, an apostolic faith, also an apostle. Well, sure, right, yeah, sure. okay. So, I think uh, I think we should just uh, let the world know that you are exactly co-equal with anyone who calls themselves pastor or apostle. Yeah, exactly it's right. All the exactly same right. stuff. Yeah, right. sure. It's so, all it, self-identified, really. Yeah. No, I mean, to to me, this is uh, uh, you know again, it's it's bad ministry methodology, and it's not how this goes. 
but uh, you know the the idea that of taking the model of you see of Christ, what he's always doing is finding people who are hurting yeah. and goes in to provide healing and encouragement and say there's a better way. That's what actual ministry looks like. This is what drives us up a tree about all these uh, Christian uh, movies that these megachurches uh, commission and whatever, because there's always a scene where a pastor is ministering to a congregant, and it's always this exact same stuff where it's a zinger. Yeah, that, gotcha. That, that's how the ministry takes place, is he says something that's just such a pure ray of wisdom that kind of twists it all around in a certain sort of way, and it's like, The kapow. weight of his pure logic overwhelmed the other. <laughs> right, and this guy's like, whoa, I never thought of it that way, Pastor. I'm going to put on a sweater. And it's like they're totally transformed by this amazing turn of phrase, this dude, you know. You did it. You rocked me. <laughs> this is It's a fantasy. It's, it's fan fiction for pastors or what have you. That's not how ministry ever works, ever, ever in the history of the world, ever. That's not what it is. You know, that so it's it's sort of perpetuating this idea of because I went to the hospital and just sat and prayed with this guy and listened to him and encouraged him and helped him with his rehab, and then he came to church with me. But that's not real ministry because I never gave him a freaking zinger yeah. or something. The the fact that person feels like they're less than after watching that movie, that's what kind of irks me. Absolutely. I think that's the point. And let's, you know what, just for fun, let's do one more. Okay. We've got oh, one more okay. to go. All right. Let's try another one. You shall not commit adultery. Oh, that's easy. I'd never cheat on my wife. Hi, handsome. Oh, baby. <clears throat> Jesus said, if you even look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Okay. Don't stop it. Where was it going? I need it to end. <laughs> You'll get no closure. First of all, I love that, again, things these weirdos love talking about, you could have done internet porn. Right. Yeah. Get her done. I never changed my life. You're looking at not anything on the internet. Okay, that's, that's adultery. Um, what you went for was 70s porn sacks <laughs> and what appeared to be someone who was doing an impression of Bugs Bunny doing an impression of Mae West yep. with Big Boy. And you folks uh, couldn't see it, but I'll put out the YouTube link. Um, our cartoon friend going full whistling wolf, yep. complete with sound effects. Yep. That's what I love. I'll spare you this. You can watch it on your own, uh, your own accord. Um, the wacky sound effects hold up throughout the whole piece. Yeah. Like when we shift into the Jesus part, they keep the wacky sound effects. <laughs> there is okay. a wacky cartoon sound effect for the scourging of Christ. For real. There is wow. literally a, he was beaten for your, that happens. Wow. Now here's what we're, 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 we're closing this out. Dear listener. You may have thought to yourself, if you've been forced to watch certain movies or, Watch them for ironic enjoyment, then turn them off halfway <laughs> through because they were too bad, like we did. Um, even though the voice of the main character here sounds a bit familiar. Hmm, it does. And at the end of this video, as uh, my girlfriend is holding the the phone, and I'm just listening because I'm driving, and I say out loud, "This is so. This is so lame. This is like Kirk Cameron lame." And then Kirk Cameron appears on screen. <laughs> yeah. You you said his name and you invoked him. That's right. Yeah. He's triple Beetlejuice. I only had to say it once. <laughs> That's right. 
to offer a service you can sign up for oh, where every Lord. month they send you one of these videos and also what appears to be some guy harassing people on their on the street to try to trick them about Jesus. And then <laughs> this is an actual media product that exists in Christianity. Kurt Cameron does a using his term chalk talk about mm. how this witnessing went. Yeah. There's uh, no joke. It's just sad. <laughs> Semi-serious closing thought? Please. I talked to a very wide range of people. I've literally never met someone who didn't know they were a mess. Yep. Same they, here. They might not use religious words to describe it, right. um, and that's fine. Uh, I've never talked to anyone who didn't know they were a mess. On the extreme rare occasion they don't, they're overcompensating so much. You know this person is overwhelmed with how much they think they're a mess and they're 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 tripling down on like I'm fine I'm fine I'm not these great, people you know, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fine it's, it's these other people are messed up not me I'm I'm yeah. fine and they're you know they they're they're you know the little eyeballs twitching and it's you know like oh, dude you need to calm down right yeah now. yeah <laughs> you know so here's what I'm saying is I think um this is a, we've had a great idea here okay because this is you want to tell people about the most important relationship they're ever going to have in their whole life and, and starting this journey of, of connecting with the Almighty himself. Yeah. And the best way to do that is sort of a paint-by-numbers formula. Mm. And I think that's a great idea. Sure. That's, that shows people that you care. Let me run you through the gauntlet of sure. things that will make you feel terrible according to a formula. Yeah. I think that's a, uh, why didn't I think of that earlier? <laughs> I was sort of individualizing it to the person I'm talking to and the struggles they're going through in their own unique experience of trying to connect with a, a, a larger truth sure. in their life. But I could have this whole time been going through like a whole formulaic thing. Yeah. That's way better. So much better. I mean, I didn't even think of that. Glenn's I mean, it's so impersonal. That's what's great about it. As the good book says, Great is the Lord and his zingers, and <laughs> yes. greatly to be praised. Amen. Yes. Archbishop Donald Rickles brings you <laughs> his greetings and spiritual wisdom. With that, we will declare emergency all. Zoinks! <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, uh, like, folks, I don't even have to make a transition. Um, th the fact that this thing that we just watched probably has more uh, people who pay attention to it in the bridge box makes me sad. Let's see. Let's let's close that gap. Get out there, sign up. You know, strike a blow for freedom. Yep. It's a perfect yep. time to jump on. July is our summer mixtape edition. Five exclusive songs. A great way to get some encouragement, some positivity in your summer. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. All right, we're gonna jump to our first question here. If you hang out with this all the way to the end, I use some ways you can touch this, or you can scroll down into your episode description, click one of the links there. First question comes in anonymously, and it says. I have problems and debts from my past hanging over my head, but I know I needed to work on me first. Now I want to make things right, and I want to do it in the right way, so how do I handle this? It's a fantastic question, and Jed, where will we start? Well, we're really glad that you wrote in. It was a great question. Uh, offer a couple things. The first is, um, it sounds like you've got the best of intentions, and that's awesome. We we salute that, and, and it sounds like you've got... Um, a lot of, of emotional drive to make your life better. And that's good. And we, and we salute that. We do not want to rely on our feelings or our good intentions as we navigate this. That's really super important. And 
It's important for two reasons. The first is um, emotions burn off uh, pretty quickly, uh, particularly when things get hard or just take a long time. And most improvement takes a long time. And the second is that the details of how you handle each of these specific situations are hyper important. Um, I'll give you an example of, of what I mean. This is an almost silly example, but it, but it, it serves the point. Uh, suppose that you, you say that you have debts. And so we'll, we'll take you at your word and, and assume that you mean some literal financial debts. I know a lot of people who, from like an emotions and good intention standpoint, the thing that they would want to do is just like save up all the money that they owe for a particular account and just pay it off in one go. That's, that's the, that's what would feel emotionally best to them. That's what's most in line with their best intentions would be to do that. No financial institution wants you to do that. They want you to do an installment plan over a period of time. Um, and in fact, they will massively, massively ding you and ruin your credit if you just don't pay anything, even though you have the intention that later you're going to pay all of it. They, they really don't like that. So the details of how you're going to deal with this debt really, really matter. And I think what you'll find is that when you look at the, as you put it, problems and debts from your past, that's going to be true for all of them. So to look at something non-financial for a second, um, maybe you're a person that's in recovery. And, and so you're looking at the concept of making amends for people that you've hurt. How you approach that situation by situation is super important. I mean, really, really critically important. So here's what we want to do. We want to find not just a mentor. We want to find for each of these major topics, we want to find a mentor who knows about that topic and who can advise us on the smart way to deal with this situation. So say that you owe a bunch on student loans. It's a very common thing. There are people who specialize in figuring out student loan repayment. Like that, they don't deal with debt generally. They deal specifically with student loans. We actually know people who work in that industry. Um, again, say you're looking at addiction and you're looking at um, uh, that making a men's step of the 12 step, finding a sponsor who's walked people through that before and knows that step, knows the pitfalls, knows how to help you with your specific situation. That's really, really important because um we're not just talking about the difference between something that, that, you know, works, but it's kind of rough, you know, the long way versus the short way. We're actually not talking about that. We're talking about the difference between a relatively smooth journey, challenging at times and, and bewildering at times, but a relatively smooth journey and stuff that blows up in your face. That's the difference that we're talking about. We, we want to see you have all the success in the world. We want to see you get where you're going. And uh, that's going to come down to finding the mentors topic by topic, not just one smart person that knows everything because there aren't any of those, but topic by topic that you need to deal with finding mentors who know the details and can help you sort out the smart solutions to each of those problems. That is the place to start. Fantastic jumping off point. And Glenn, when we're walking through this, um, as Jed lines out the right way to do this is going to be a process. Yeah. Um, Be that repaying literal or figurative debts. Anything we do kind of, you know, addressing problems in our past is almost certainly never going to be a one-stop uh, fix. So what are the things we need to do during that time to uh, increase our chances of success? Well, I think uh, Jed got us started off in the r- exact right uh, way of looking at this 
in in terms of the timeline uh, the, to manage expectations this is going to take a while uh i think when we get in the vein of doing the right thing we give ourselves permission to rush that process because we feel like well we're doing a whole lot of good all at once we're paying a lot of debt all at once that that makes it extra good it actually doesn't and pushing that timeline can get us overwhelmed and overloaded. That's how we end up backsliding. So managing those expectations, taking our time with this, figuring out how to do it right, as does saying, that's a big key. Um, I'm going to borrow a phrase uh, that I stole from Matt and rarely give him credit for. Uh, we can't uh, use the devil's tools to build God's house. So that's fear, that's shame, that's guilt. These are tools that the enemy uses to keep us down. But if I say, I feel really guilty about this debt that I owe to this person, and I want to just hurry up and pay it, I'm use, I'm, I want to do a good thing. I want to rebuild my life and be in the recovery from uh, the stuff that I've done in my past. That's a good thing to want to do, and it's mm-hmm. a good thing to, to make happen. But you're saying, I'm going to use guilt, in this case, to drive that process and and to give me a sense of when it's the right time to do it and all of that. So I'm using guilt as a tool to try and do God's work in my life. That's not ever going to work. That's going to lead to something bad because those are the enemy's tools that he uses to hurt us. We can't build God's house using the devil's tools. Uh, that means we need to have tools uh, of uh, of a godly nature in order to accomplish a godly purpose. So, what are those tools? Patience. There's your big one, and that's that deals with the timeline element of this. Wisdom, as Jez is pointing out, is also key. Uh, having a sense of peace about where you're at, having a sense of how forgiven and uh, how much God's grace is present in your life. Those things are going to allow you to power through and strengthen and get that recovery going. But simply rushing that process because you're, you're feeling guilty and ashamed, that's going to constantly lead to more problems. Uh, final thing on this, uh, I make the same speech to everybody when they want to come and work for me. Take your ego and your shotgun for a long walk in the woods and come back alone. Uh, having a sense of ego is is basically simply a uh, uh, a tool that the enemy can come and make you feel like crap anytime he wants. Yeah. Uh, but by taking that idea and subverting it and saying this is not about me, I'm I'm working this recovery, I'm getting my life together. That's so that I can serve God, so I can help other people. So I can have a life that is stable and healthy, and this, these are the things I want for my life. Uh, this is not about my self-image, as, as I think Jed was touching on that as well. This is not about, I want to come out of this looking good. This is not, I want everyone to rise up as one and to say, you know, he used to be messed up, but now he's doing great. That's putting all of that on other people and inviting them to manipulate you and make you feel terrible make you jump through hoops. That's not going to lead to a good outcome. It's putting something that should only come from God, and that's our sense of self, and you're putting that on other people and letting them have that role in your life. That's not going to lead to good outcomes. Uh, If I take that sense of ego and subvert it and say, God and I are one. We are united in a relationship. That's an inner circle that other people aren't invited into. 
and I want to be used by God to do good things in the world. I can't do good in the world because I'm not good, but God and I are one. He can do those good things through me, and I want that to happen. I want it to happen in a hurry because I'm not patient. But as I get with God and I receive his patience through that relationship, and I see what I can do uh, with his power, that is to say he does it through me, then I'm able to be a real blessing to other people. My life will be good. And I'll have the kind of life that I other people will admire and people will cherish and whatever, but by then it doesn't matter to me because I've given up that ego on step one. I think it's a very important point. I would uh, add to uh, the conversation we're having here about some misconceptions about the way this works, which we see a lot of, well, everyone you're listening to on this show has a college degree, so you can imagine the amount of death that comes with that. Uh-huh. Um, and also, um, in some of our cases, uh, extremely poor financial decisions. So you can imagine the amount of debt that came with that. Um, but we also work with folks who are going through, again, both literally and figuratively coming out of uh, some debts of their past. The uh, Glenn uh, surprisingly gave me credit for something. I was surprised to give him credit for something smart he said when we talked about a very similar topic at the bridge recently. Uh, Glenn talked about um, the idea of people spend a lot of effort trying to get to zero. And that you cannot feel you cannot feel joy about getting to zero. No doubt. Um, you can feel a slight bit of relief. You know, if you own thirty thousand dollars on a credit card and you know you paid it off over several years, you could feel relief that you don't have to make that credit card payment anymore. You're not really going to feel a, a life giving, you know, toe tapping sense of joy. And it's the same with things we do in our life there. I think one of the weird misconceptions, if you've not seen a lot of people walk through this is that you, uh, I got to put all my effort, you know, you talk about, I had to work on myself, put all my effort into getting back to zero, getting on that footing. And then good things will happen. People who actually kind of move past the mistakes they made in their past to go on to live those new lives, do those good things. They blow past the point of back to zero so fast. They don't even notice it. Um, it can't be a goal to just get to a neutral, as we would put it, to just be able to shift it into neutral. Um, so all I'd say, it is important to have positive things you're thinking about, working towards, doing, active in, as opposed to just, I want not this. You can get, you can only get so far in life, in finances, in, in your walk with, I want not this bad thing. Eventually, yep. you're going to have to shift into wanting a good thing. That all these other things might be holding you back from. So it's good motivation to, to shed them. But that really does. It is a weird thing where in a way your stated motivating factors really can make a difference here. Say, I don't want to be crushed under the heel of this thing. That's actually a slightly different statement from, I want to live a life that's free yeah, and be able to do these cool things. So that this is limiting my freedom. I can't do that. So if you're not looking at things in that kind of way of, Positivity. I think uh, we talk a lot about stuff that church people say on the show that is true, but they just don't dig into it enough. It's actually a big conversation we have with a lot of our pastors and speakers at the bridge. Is you said a thing that's in the Bible and could have been helpful if you had pointed out how to apply it to anyone's real situation. And this is kind of one of those situations where you you hear that positivity is good. You know, they've done studies that thinking positively is good for you. That's you know, in, that is in the Bible. Think on these things that are, are praiseworthy. There's a reason for that. There's a practical reason and practical ways that having some positive mindset is going to help you out. And this is a big one when you're trying to get over one. 
So if you haven't considered trying that, I would certainly urge you towards that as you move forward. All right, we're jumping to our second question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, I'm beginning a leadership position, but I feel insecure as a leader. I want people to follow me, but I don't want to be fake or resort to manipulating or bullying. How do I do this? And Glenn, where would you start us off? Well, uh, it, it's it's. I was kind of going through some things in my mind as you asked this question. Uh, one is, because I'm thinking of leadership in a Christian context, which I, I'm sure is what you wanted to hear about here. And um, I had sort of two bosses before I started my own ministry in, in, in ministry, you know, two ministry uh, bosses. And uh, both of them, I think, struggled with doing that in a way a modern uh, person would think is healthy. <laughs> so I don't know that I had great examples uh, in again in a way that a modern uh, you know a, a person uh, today would think of as 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 you know healthy and and good and and positive. I think you're right to have a a mentality of I don't want to manipulate or bully. Uh, I think off of that, what you're really trying to get away from is a sort of punishment and reward kind of model of things. Those things turn out to not be serious motivators for people. Uh, if you ask most management people, they would say people feel driven towards something when they feel fulfilled, when they feel like they're, they're, they're using their gifts well and they're doing the things they really want to be doing that that's much more of a motivator than punishment and reward. Uh, but I think I'll give you a few rapid fire things that I think I might do somewhat well as for, for me being a boss. Uh, one is I think starting with letting people know what's expected of them. I think that's a big thing because it, what happens is when people aren't sure what is expected, they start filling in the gaps of that. And almost whatever happens on that is going to be unhealthy. Uh, some people are going to overinflate that. They think, well, I'm expected to do a perfect job of this because no one ever said it was okay if I got anything wrong. So I'm assuming that I have to be perfect. And that person is just going to work themselves into a ball and then quit on you or something like that. Um, other people might look at that same situation and say, well, he never said he expected me to you know, work the whole time I'm here, so I assume it's okay to take a four-hour break. So they, you know, Is that a hard 8.30, or can I roll in about 12? <laughs> right, exactly. So that's, you know, I think this is about making it very clear. Here's exactly what I want. Here are exactly the parameters of that, the left and right limits of that. Uh, paint a picture of what exactly should this look like. Um, I certainly try and do that with the people that work for me. It depends on what you're you're leading them in, uh, but a lot of ministry stuff kind of is vague, and it's dealing with a lot of vague types of goals. So trying to work that down to as a, as concrete a thing as possible helps. Uh, I have a policy in this ministry: first mistake is free. And what I mean by that is I don't expect people to be perfect. I know they're going to make mistakes. If you're not making a steady number of mistakes, you're not pressing forward enough and you're back on your heels, you're not being bold and, and assertive enough. Uh, so I want to have uh, uh, to be dealing with a small number of manageable mistakes as far as that goes. But if you make that mistake, I expect, this is part of me communicating expectations, I expect you to learn from that and for that to be the last time that we're dealing with that. The second mistake is you just want to be doing it this way, and that's a different deal, and it's a radically different deal in my mind. 
I think you get into bad management and bad leadership when you're trying to expect them to all, all be perfect or when they do screw up that you're you're coming in and you're trying to condemn and punish that as a deterrent in the future. It's better to say you made a mistake, it's an anonymous mistake. This these things happen. Let's learn from this because I want you to have a clear sense of how to not be in the situation again and I need you to understand this one's free, the next one is not, because the next time you don't have an excuse. Uh, next thing I would mention is, uh, in, in, in my line of work, uh, I am not, uh, I don't think uh, the, professionally the people that deal with this ministry see me as uh, some sort of iconic uh, celebrity type figure. They really look at the staff that works with me and, and underneath me as the star of the show. Uh, this, this is what I get compliments on. This is what people talk about is this, this staff. And I think I've spent a lot of time. I, I think they're wonderful too. And I also don't, don't know if other people realize how wonderful they are. So where did you get that impression that they're wonderful? But I think it comes down to respect. I think I foster a lot of respect between me and, and the people that w work for me but they respect each other. And I think part of that is recognizing I'm good at my thing and I can celebrate this other person being good at their thing. When you feel bad and insecure that you're not good at something, you just feel like everybody else is cooler than you and more sharp than you. You're supposed to be looking up to all these other people. It creates an environment where everyone's trying to outdo each other. Everyone's trying to compete with each other. Everyone's trying to get that rank or whatever way better when everybody respects what everybody else brings to the table. This person's better than me at this thing. I'm better than they are at the other thing. If we put ourselves together, we're going to learn from each other, grow, help each other out. So if you're not in an environment where, where there's enough of that respect, you're going to have that problem. So you, fostering that's going to make a big difference. Uh, finally, and this is a, a simple thing, and I think it will dovetail into some of the stuff that Jeff wants to talk about, but I think the key is to delegate off as much as possible. Don't be that person that overworks. And sometimes as a boss, you say, I need to set a good example, so i got to work myself to death. It's a bad idea. Delegate out as much as possible. And be there when things go wrong to bail that situation out. If you're down in the, in the trenches, you can't come and come to the rescue and another part of the team has a problem. And that creates a situation where they can't, they, they can't count on you. They're, you're not there to help them. It's important for us uh, as leaders, as particularly in a Christian context, to have that sense of, I'm, I'm here to try and help be a safety net. I'm here to kind of uh, keep this stuff from going off the rails and going into the ditches. That means I need to not be overly engaged in my own thing. I need to be free to come alongside other people and help them out. That's all really, really good stuff uh, to start with. And there's a lot of wonderful specifics in there that can draw into any situation, which I think is really, really helpful. And Jed, if we're going to uh, look at a maybe a larger framework sure. for leadership and Christian stuff, and uh, everything Glenn mentioned there has a place in that, and really, mm. I think, are spokes on a wheel of a central theme, but what would you put at the center of that? The center is that the leader is a servant. And actually, that is the key thing that separates Christian leadership from secular leadership. In secular leadership, the leader is the big boss man who's in charge, and we all got to do what he says. In Christian leadership, the leader is a servant. And that goes back to Jesus washing his disciples' feet. 
that's that's where that comes from. So um, uh, basically, I, I think practically speaking, again, at least in Christian stuff, uh, if you want to be a servant to people, there are three things that I would have you look at. And um, Glenn is speaking in the context, and rightly so, of an employment-style situation. So let's actually talk about a volunteer kind of thing, where you are, maybe you work for a church, but all the people that you're leading are volunteers, so that it's a slightly different dynamic. So I think that there are three things that people would be looking to you to do, all of which are you serving them. Um, so the first thing is making sure they have the resources to do the deal. So let's, we're just going to, we're going to pick something um, out of a hat, but let's say that uh, you work for a church and you're going to lead the homeless outreach. And then you have volunteers from the church that are going to assist you with the homeless outreach. That's, that's what we're going to do. And that's what you're leading. I don't know if that relates to your thing or not, but that's what we're going to use our example. Okay. So um, there are resources that would be useful for the people that are going to be doing this work. The first resource is someone to train folks to know how to do this work. The beautiful thing about being a leader is you don't have to know how to do it. You just have to find someone who does. You go and find a person who can come in and train our volunteers to do this outreach. It's a resource they need. You will provide it. Next, we need a place that we can go and do this homeless outreach, where we're not going to have problems with local law enforcement or with a homeowners association or with business owners or whatever. I'm going to talk to people until I find a place that we can go do this homeless outreach. Again, it's a necessary resource to do the deal. Your job as the leader is to come up with it, is to provide and furnish that resource to your people. And maybe we're going to be handing out uh, kits with hygiene products, you know, some some soap and and um, uh, some toothbrushes, this kind of thing. This is a pretty common thing. Okay, so your job as leader is to go find people who would furnish those supplies so that you can give them to your people and your people can then go do the deal. So that's thing one is there's resources that people need to do the deal. It's up to you to supply them. That's That's what a leader does. The next thing that a leader does is they are willing to make the hard decision um, so that other people don't have to. So um, half the group thinks it should absolutely be Friday night, and the other half of the group thinks it should absolutely be Saturday night, and we just don't know, and besides, and so forth. Well, the funny thing is, the, the role of the leader in the end is to make that decision. It's to make an informed decision, yes. It's to make a decision that takes into account as, as many people's viewpoints as we can do. But it's also to take the heat from making a decision that's going to disappoint half these people. Um, it's to be the bad guy. Uh, that's, that's, you are serving them by, you are the bad guy and you will, you will make that hard decision. People are looking to you to do that. If you are the leader, the third one is being the mega bad guy. And that is kicking out people who are causing problems. Hello. I would say in any group of more than half a dozen people, there's one person that's dragging everybody down. And I don't mean that they're not good at it. That's that's not what I mean. I mean, they've got a bad attitude, and they're making this a miserable experience for everybody else. Certainly, by the time you get to a dozen people, there's definitely someone in that mix who's doing that, for sure, for sure. And um, the role of the leader is to get that person squared away. Um, now, that could be as easy as saying, now, Edith, you're making everybody miserable with that funky attitude. Could you please dial it back a little bit? It could be as simple as that. That's that's great. That's your job if you're the leader because you're serving the needs of your people. It If that doesn't work, that could also be as hardcore as saying, Edith, I'm officially uninviting you from this ministry. 
you are not welcome here anymore. We love you, but you've got issues you need to work on. You're not prepared to be a constructive member of this team. Do not show up on Friday. We, you are, you are not welcome to be a part of this. That sounds like an awful thing to have to do. I know that super duper sucks. That's what it is to be a leader because your people need someone to do that. Your people need someone who um, can uh, sort these hard issues out. And if they've got a need, you as the leader are there to serve their needs. That's, that's what you do. The good news is you can learn how to do all those things. The things that I just described are skills. They're not innate talents. They're not innate abilities that you either have or you don't. They're all skills that you can learn how to do. You get better at them as you have more reps. Um, you get better at them as you learn from people who've been doing it longer than you have. And they will work. If you decide, even if I'm not great at it, I'm going to be a servant to the people that I'm leading, it will work. They will be glad to have your leadership. They'll be glad to follow you. Um, They will do a better job. More work for the kingdom will happen, even at the beginning, when you're still super, super new to it and therefore unsure about a lot of it. Meanwhile, we believe in you. We got your back. You can do this. It's a great point. And I will uh, add to uh, what we said here that all of this that you've heard here applies in varying levels, obviously you have to be the one to apply it. Really, no matter what level of leadership you are in, as, as, as Glenn started talking about, maybe a, a more professional context, someone who's running a, a operation with a lot of wings, a lot of stuff going on. It's true if you're a staff supervising volunteers. It's true if you're the volunteer who is in charge of setting up the, you know, you, and you and two other people do the the setup on the donut table before. Um, church and you just happen to be the one who's organizing it that week or whatever. Um, leadership is leadership and it can be done well or badly at any level. So there's no such thing as, well, this is just, this is not that big a deal. So we don't have to worry about that. Particularly if in a Christian context, which involves other people, it's an opportunity to do something good. It's an opportunity to serve people to really uh, hone that skill in a way that, that may uh, get moved on to later on, if that's something you're, you're interested in. So uh, there's no leadership position that's so small you can't do something and learn something with it. Anytime you're you're in charge of something that involves people, there's going to be a new wrinkle. There's going to be something pop up that you can learn to manage and that will apply later on. So uh, it's all all good stuff. All right, we're going to jump to our final question here. Comes in anonymously and it says, I was reading in Romans 14, 1 to 13, and it talks about passing judgment on the servant of another and what we ought to welcome those who are weak in the faith. How does that fit in with things you guys talk about, like discernment and accountability? And this is a very, very good question. We love kind of both specific follow-up questions and these kind of things of, hey, you guys always say this, and um, I read this thing or heard this thing that I'm not sure how that jives with that. So we're big fans of this question. And Jed, where do we start off? Awesome question, and we're really glad to have you as a listener. We're really glad that you wrote in. Okay, so one of the things that is a skill that we want to encourage you to do when you encounter things in the Bible and and you're not quite sure what they mean or or what to do with them is read that same passage in a couple different translations, Um, because in general, that can really help you get a a more cohesive perspective on what the deal is. So I'm going to read just the first few verses of Romans 14, but I'm going to read them in the message translation, because I think it's going to give us a good sense of what we're dealing with. So here it goes. Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do, and don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. 
even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. All right, I I think we can all track with that. Part of what Romans 14 is dealing with, and there's a lot going on in this chapter, but part of what it's dealing with is the difference between essential and non-essential doctrine. So let's, let's look at that for a second. So a doctrine is just something that you believe, right? And you, you could have a doctrine about anything, but, but in the Christian faith, we, we have a lot of doctrines. You know, we, for example, we believe that Jesus was fully man and fully God. That's a, a doctrine that we believe. And there are some uh, doctrines that, again, people would describe as essential. They are of, of utmost importance, and really, they are a part of what it means to have Christian faith. Um, These are articles of faith that if you don't have them, you're not really um, in an orthodox sense within the bounds of Christianity. But then there's all kinds of other things. For example, the mode of baptism, where these would be described as non-essential doctrine. Um, It's not that they don't matter, but they don't have that same level of importance as the essential stuff. And um, uh, uh, Christians can, can think differently on them and, uh, respect one another, even in the midst of thinking very differently on them. And by mode of baptism, uh, Jed means what we more colloquially refer to as dunk versus sprinkle. Exactly right. So you might be wondering, well, what are those essential doctrines? Well, I'm glad you asked. This is a question that people have wondered about for a long time. And you might've heard before of something called a creed, uh, for example, the apostles creed. Um, this is a list of the really super important essential doctrines of Christianity. In fact, when I was growing up and a lot of churches do this, we recited this every single week. So I'm going to read it for you right now. I believe in God, the father almighty creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Okay, so what's cool about that is those are, again, those are the things that for the last 2,000 years have kind of defined really what it means in an orthodox sense to be a Christian. Um, if if you don't really believe those things, it's it's not that you're a bad person, but you're probably not exactly, exactly on Christianity. Um, but you might note that although there's a fair amount of stuff in that creed, there's all kinds of stuff that's not in there. Um, there's there's all kinds of stuff. For example, mode of baptism, or how we do communion, or you know uh, who is welcome at communion. These these kind of things, where churches and and individuals really are free to disagree on these things. That, that doesn't make one wrong and the other right, or one good and the other bad. Um, it's just different perspectives. So as we dig into Romans fourteen. Part of what we're looking at, again, is that there are things where we need to be uh, pretty firm about them, you know, uh, uh, that, uh, for example, Jesus will return to judge the world. That That is an essential Christian belief. There's not a lot of, of wiggle room on that. Um, the genre of music that we play on Sunday morning worship service, there's a lot of wiggle room on that. 
A, a lot, a lot, a lot. And so part of the point that, that Paul is making and driving at is that we need to know which stuff to really be deadly serious about and which stuff to give other people a wide berth about. I think that's exactly right. That is where that starts off. So Glenn, if we look at the context of a positive thing, as we talk about on the show, discernment is a good thing for us. Yeah. Accountability is a good thing in a, um, in a community. Yeah. When we, when we don't have those things, we, uh, we have plenty of cases of seeing how that can't work. Mm-hmm. Where is the line between those things and doing what Jed is talking about here and saying, I disagree with this person and I'm going to take that too far by going in this other direction. It's the condemnation part. Uh, that's the difference between discernment and judgment. Yep. Uh, they're both similar in the sense of they're both deciding where that line of right and wrong is. Where it becomes judgment is when I hand down my sentence on what and proclaim this is what should happen to this person. Uh, that turns out to be the part, the difference between a really righteous thing of knowing and having the wisdom to know right from wrong. And, and again, we call that discernment. Uh, that's a that's a good thing. It's a positive thing. How how else can I live a good life if I don't know what is good and what is bad? I need to know what is uh, wise and unwise. I need to know what is healthy and unhealthy. I know need to know what is a lie and what is a truth. That discernment is super important, and I Christians don't have enough of that. But if I take the role of the person worthy to hand down the sentence for something that I am able to discern is is wrong then I am assuming God's role in that situation. So that's, that's a sin, and that verse is making that perfectly clear. So there's a, uh, there's a, a sense here of uh, you know, uh, ha- thinking that accountability means I have a sense of what I think you should be doing right now, and you need to assign yourself to doing what I tell you to do. That's not what accountability is. You cannot have non-consensual accountability. <laughs> That's exactly right. And accountability, uh, you know, in, in an optimal sense, is often uh, saying, I see a trend here uh, that's, you know, I, you've been... Str- it's worrisome. Yeah, you've been stressed with work stuff for the past three weeks of this Bible study. You look like you haven't had any sleep. Uh let's get a cup of coffee and let's talk about it. Let's get into that. There's got to be a way. Let's talk our way around this thing, see what we see. That's that's an, an accountability arrangement between two people. But this is not one person uh, 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 who is weak and looking for someone else to provide all the motivation and, and, and be mean to them about it. That's not what accountability is. This isn't a situation where uh, I, I I tell all the people who are sinning that they are sinning and they need to stop it. That's that's not ministry. That's not how we do it. What? Yeah, <laughs> I was kind of joking about that in a recent uh, sermon at the bridge. You, you can't just tell people stop it. That's not that's not uh, what ministry is. But there's another thing going on in this block of verses that you mentioned in Romans four in Romans fourteen. I think. We need to get our minds around because because Jed's giving us some overarching concepts here. I want to do the same, and that is it's talking about an individual judgment that you will stand before God by yourself. That means you need to focus on what's going on with you, 
<laughs> That's pretty clear to me. I don't know how many people read that verse and manage to skip over that. That other guy is going to be judged by me. That's between me and him. It's what's between you and I that's a concern here. That's what the guy's trying to say. Um, and he's trying to say, I've got all kinds of things going on with this guy that you don't know anything about. You're coming in, you see something you think of as wrong, and you're thinking, you see something that you're thinking needs to be addressed right now. That's without any wisdom. Do you think there's any possibility of all the problems this dude is facing that his views on baptism are at right. the top of the list right. of things we need to address? That's what it is. You, you, you see one thing, but you decide it has to be top of the list because you saw it, yeah. and you, you recognize a wrong thing. Well, there's a million wrong things in his life, same as there's a million wrong things in your life. God decides what goes to that top of that list and what should be worked on, not you, but you've assigned yourself, I'm going to put this at the top of the list, and I'm going to make it non-negotiable that you have to do this thing I'm telling you what to do. That's judgment. It's not accountability. It is not being discerning. It's, it's, it's taking that sense of, yes, this is a troubling development. Yes, this is an unhealthy thing, but saying today's the day that this guy needs to deal with it or else I will hand out some form of punishment. But having this sense of an individual relationship with God is something I see lacking in a huge swath of Christians. They have a mentality of, I'm going to move with the herd no matter what. I'm basically as good as most of the people in this church, so that's it. I'm, I'm going to sneak in with the rest of them. You know, It's saying... Sure, I don't stand out in any particular good way, but I don't stand out in any, any particular bad way. So that means I'm pretty much a good Christian. You know? I'm beige. Yeah, that's uh, that's not being sponsored here. Uh, here's another thing. I'm going to stand by myself when I go to that throne of judgment. I'm not going to be able to call other people in to testify <laughs> on that. And they're not going to be able to defend me, and they're also not going to be able to come in and condemn me either. That means pretty much no one else should have a vote on any of this, and no one should have that strong of a, of a vocal presence in my relationship with God. This needs to be an individual thing between me and him, because that's exactly what this Bible verse is trying to say. We get into trouble when we say, I'm going to look at a group of people who are doing a thing that is a sin according to a verse in the Bible, and I'm going to take that group of people, address them as a group, and condemn them as a group and say, you are condemned because you did a thing that is wrong according to uh, a, a strict interpretation of the Bible and taking that out of the context of all the rest of it. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you that you have to stop doing that one thing, and, you, and that's priority number one. And if you don't, then you're not being accountable to God's word, and you're, you're doing your own self-styled Christianity and so on and so forth, and therefore you're an evil person. But you're not addressing the fact that each of these people has their own individual walk with God. As, as, as Romans 14 is saying, who are you to judge somebody else's servant? That's my servant. It's not your servant. It's between me and him, whether he's serving me in the way that I want or not. And here's the thing. I'm working with him on that. You are interfering with that process 
by coming in and trying to be the boss in that situation. And I am offended by that as Almighty God. And here's the thing, that might come up when it's your turn to stand in front of me. So don't be that guy. That's a clear and undeniable uh, uh, and obvious interpretation of what Romans 14 is saying. So I think uh, in terms of moving forward in that, it's really looking at that condemnation piece as the part that's not ours to lay down. I now can't shake the vision of a burning bush and Glenn dressed as Charlton Heston from the Ten Commandments coming out. But it's just one tablet, and chiseled into it is just, don't be that guy. <laughs> that's a commandment we can all get behind. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, I, I think it would uh, get us out of a lot of jams. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, and I, I totally agree with what these guys are saying. And uh, let's, let's look at what the, the verse actually says, because this is one of those things where a lot of times we encounter the Bible in some pretty diced up pieces. And the order of things that happen at the end of this chunk of scripture you're quoting here is, is, is fairly important. Uh, so starting in verse 10 says, You, then why do you judge your brother or sister, this is in the IV, or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, which is an important rejoinder of a word, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of her brother or sister. I think this is very important because, as these guys have said, there are two very important things going on in this these four verses. One is, you shouldn't judge people. And the other is, as Glenn is pointing out, every individual is going to have to stand before the Lord and deal with whatever that entails. Um, I think it's important that the things come in the order of everyone's going to have to stand before the Lord. So stop passing the judgment. And I'll tell you how that relates to what we're talking about here. When we're talking about discernment and accountability, ultimately those are things that are about us. If we pick up, if we hear a book or a sermon or have a conversation with someone and evaluate, discern, if you will, that they are, to use a theological term, full of crap, that's part of saying, I'm not going there with this person. I don't care how many, I don't care how many copies of the book sold. I don't care how many retweets the quote got. I ran the, I bounced this off the Lord and this is not something I need to take on board. I'm discerning that for myself. I'm not writing a, a hate letter about why this person isn't Christian or not, because that's not my place, but I'm going to have to stand before God and talk about the things I let inform my faith and the things I didn't. So I'm discerning that this isn't there, not judging, not casting aside, not as what is saying, not saying that this person is, is worthless or that they don't, but that's, and that discernment's about me in the same way. We have a lot of misconceptions, I think, in the Christian world about accountability. As Glenn was joking, you can't just walk up to someone and accountable them. Right. That's not how that works. To put it in the context of leadership we were talking about, if Glenn, if Glenn runs the bridge service, if I'm doing something as his employee that is hurting the bridge service, it is incumbent on him to hold me accountable because that's his thing. That's his calling from the Lord. It's not that he's stopping me from doing this because he thinks I'm a bad person or I'm a naughty little monkey or this is, you know, intolerable behavior. It's I've got a thing. And we've told we've asked people to leave the bridge Mm -hmm. and told them this before. This is not a judgment thing. This is that we are accountable to God for what these people hear Mm -hmm. and encounter on this hour and a half on a Tuesday. So if you're not coming through on that, we have to hold you accountable to that. But that's ultimately for us. Again, we're not. 
it is in a way weirdly that it overlaps with when we talk about a totally not, mostly non spiritual thing with boundaries. We talk about boundaries in the show and say, you know, it is not to force the other person to change their behavior. It is to point out what you will and won't put up with. Um, it's the same, same as saying, you know what, uncle so-and-so I'm not down with the racist rant at Thanksgiving and I'm leaving. I'm not saying you have to stop doing the racist rant. That's really neither here nor there. I'm just leaving. In a way, this is the carryover of that. It's I'm not campaigning that you have to stop this behavior. I'm not saying this is keeping you from God. I'm not getting involved in your relationship between you and God. My relationship with God can't have this thing you're doing in it. So we have to put that out. So it's a way we don't often think of these things, but there is a very, as Glenn was talking about, self-centered and self-focused or you know negative terms uh, uh, emotionally. We don't want to be a self-centered person. But when it breaks down to what we do with God, we should think of that in a literally self-centered way. God and I are at the center of this whole thing, and then everything else orbits around that. It really is a powerful way to think. And when you look at this verse in that context, there's a lot of good wisdom about, as these guys are talking about, really lands in a place of acceptance and a place of not passing judgment, but also realizing that we have to be uh, practical and no follow through on what we're being called to do. I think Romans 14 actually does some really cool things in giving us a way to do that. Okay. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, the bridge, Chicago.tumblr.com. We talked about the prodigal son a lot on this show. Actually, we didn't, but Lee wrote a song about the prodigal son that I really mm. like, and I get to pick the outsource songs. So we're going to take it out with that. It's called child of wandering. Will. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Hey, Christians, maybe make a cute cartoon designed to make me feel good about myself. How about that? (laughs) You've been gone so long. You're out there on your own. And you've got me all wrong. If you think you can.
got my favorite ring. A cat and sandals too. A rope fit for a king. And I'd give them all to you. Just come home. Come back 